Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life, to worship you on the Sabbath. We thank you for the word of God that you provided for us, and we recognize this morning that there are individuals in history that gave their lives so that we could have this book, and we thank you for this privilege that we have to worship you in freedom in this country. We pray now that as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit inspire, instruct, and encourage, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. On the screen, I have a picture of a statue that is found in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It is called the Pieta. It was crafted and formed by none other than Michelangelo. It is highly regarded by many as the most remarkable piece of art that Michelangelo ever made. It took him two years to make this statue, to etch it out of marble, and he finished it at the young age of 24. Can you believe that? The story goes with this statue that after Michelangelo had finished it, he overheard uh, another individual that was admiring the statue and attributed another sculptor to have created it. As you can imagine, this did not go over too well with Michelangelo. And so, shortly thereafter, Michelangelo went and etched out in marble, he carved it into the marble, a inscription. And I've blown it up here on the screen. I think you can see it. Uh, You can see the first word there. It's Michelangelus. He wanted to make it very clear who the creator of this sculpture was in that he etched it in stone. He signed his name to the sash of Mary, and the statue is of Mary holding Jesus there shortly after the crucifixion. He etched it there across the sash of this statue, and that's not all he wrote. When you translate the inscription across the sash, the sash of this statue, it literally can be translated as Michelangelo, Buenarroti, Florentine, made it. All right. So he wanted to make it very clear who signed or who created this statue. He he says, Michelangelo made this. Michelangelo created this. Michelangelo formed this. And they say that this is the only work of art that Michelangelo ever signed. This morning, we want to look at another masterpiece by an artist that is even greater than the great Michelangelo. We want to look at the beginning of the Bible in which the creator God creates the world and he signs it at the end of his creation. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have not already, to our scripture reading, Genesis chapter 2, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2.
verses 1 through 3. I want to thank Sharon for doing our scripture reading this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the Bible that has been provided for you there in the pew. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were, what does the Bible say? Were finished. God had completed his creation, his masterpiece. He was done. It was completed. It was finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. Then he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is what we see when you read the Genesis account. And today, if you have some time, I want to encourage you to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You see that God creates the earth in six literal, contiguous, consecutive consecutive days. He finishes his masterpiece. And the Bible says he said it was very good. It was complete. He was done. And on the seventh day, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that God rests on the seventh day and he does something very unique. He does not sign his signature in a particular place or location. It is not etched in stone, but in this case, God signs his masterpiece in time. In a time period, he infused his holiness into a 24-hour period. This is the signature of God after the creation account, and so that when we go through our weekly cycle, that like a holy wave, this sacred time comes across our reality. Wherever you are in the world, you can participate in this sacred sanctuary in time. Can you say amen? amen. I'm, so God, I'm so glad that God did not make a place holy like Jerusalem. So that every seven days you have to go to that place. Praise God. You know, I wouldn't want to live very close in that situation. But God made it so that wherever you are in the world, you can be a part of the sacred time that God infused. I want to encourage you to take out of your bulletin, you will have a study guide there provided for you. And if you don't have a study guide, raise your hand, and I'm going to call out to Leanne back there. If you don't have one, raise your hand, Leanne will get you one. There's a few hands out here. I want to make sure that you have this study guide. Now, for some of us, this will be a review, and that's all right, because the Bible tells us that we need to always give a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. So when someone asks you about the Bible Sabbath, this can be a study that you can do. And for some of us, this may be new information. But either way, I want to encourage us to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We want to be individuals that are people of the book, people of the Bible. I want to encourage you to fill this out as we go through our study here today. Our first passage is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I filled in the blanks conveniently for you there on the screen. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now I have a question for you here this morning. How many Jews were around when this happened? None. Adam and Eve were not Jews, friends. Jews came along much later, 
after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is where the Jewish nation came from. There was not one living Jew during this time. This was before there was even sin. This was before the time of Moses. This is during the time of Edenic perfection. God institutes the sacred Sabbath at the very beginning of the Bible. If you read on in your study guide, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we discover that God did set a day aside as special. This day was the seventh day of the week. God did three very special things on this day. List them below. He rested, he blessed, and sanctified. That third term, sanctified, means to make holy. Now, God is the only individual that can make anything holy. And in this case, he made a particular day holy, a 24-hour period he made holy. Now, when you look in the Hebrew, you will notice something very fascinating about Genesis chapter 2, 2, and 3 is that the first phrase, and on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done. It's seven words in the Hebrew. And he rested on the seventh day from all his works, which he had done. Again, seven words in the Hebrew. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Seven words in the Hebrew. Furthermore, when you look at the literary structure of the creation story, you see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, it says the first day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 8, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. In each one of these accounts, the day is only mentioned once. But when you read about the seventh day, you'll notice something interesting. It says the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. Now, the reason for this is not because God wants us to forget about the seventh day. It's because God wants us to take note of this day. It's by particular intention that in this case, God says the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. Now, if your mom tells you, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this, is it because she wants you to forget or because you want to remember? She wants you to remember, right? When you repeat something, it's for the sake of emphasis. And when you study Hebrew syntax, when they want to make an emphasis on something, they would repeat it again and again and again. Many times they would repeat it twice, but in this case, the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. Something different about the seventh day in the Genesis account. There you have it on the screen, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. The seventh day mentioned three times. When you look at the heart of the Ten Commandments, which was written by God on two tablets of stone, Matter of fact, this is the only part of the Bible that God wrote himself. The other parts of the Bible are inspired by God. He inspires holy men, and they wrote the Bible. But in this case, God said, look, Moses, I don't want you to write this down. I don't want you to dictate this or take a diction of this. In this case, God wrote himself on two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, telling about its immutability an unchangeable nature. Now, some people get confused when they talk about the Ten Commandments. They naturally assume that the Ten Commandments was done away at the cross, but this is a misconception when you look at the nature of the two laws in the Bible. There are not one, but two laws. The law of God was written by God. It was written on stone. It was deposited by Moses into the Ark of the Covenant, Moses' law was written by Moses. 
it was written in a book and it was deposited by the Levites by the side of the ark to be a witness against the people. Moses' law pointed forward to Jesus coming, and when Jesus died on the cross, we no longer have to kill a lamb anymore. Can you say praise God for that? Because the lamb of God had come. Moses' law pointed forward to Jesus, and when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, indicating that the sanctuary service here on earth was no longer to be taking place. It was no longer relevant. And Jesus, who is the lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world, after the resurrection, went to heaven, and according to Paul in Hebrews chapter 8, he is our high priest in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary, which God erected and not man. So Moses' law was of a temporal nature, but God's law was unchangeable. And this is a common misunderstanding in the Christian community, so much so that the great Billy Graham had to address this in a question-and-answer format in an editorial. Some religious people that I know tell me that the Ten Commandments are part of the law and that they do not apply to us today. They say that as Christians, we are free from the law. Is that right? And here's the answer of Billy Graham. No, it is not right, and I hope that you will not be misled by these false opinions. It is very important that Christians understand what the Bible means when it says they are free from the law. It certainly does not mean that they are free from the obligation of the moral law and are at liberty to sin. You see, the word law is used by the New Testament writers in two senses. How many? Two senses. Sometimes it refers to the ceremonial law, which is Moses' law of the Old Testament, which is concerned about ritual matters and regulations regarding food, drink, and things of that kind. The ceremonial law was of a passing character and was done away with when Christ came. From this law, Christians are indeed free. But the New Testament does also speak of a moral law, which is of a permanent, listen to this, unchanging character and is summarized in the Ten Commandments. This law sets forth God's demands on human life and man's duties to God and his neighbor. That it definitely applies to Christians is made clear in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Billy Graham. He makes it very clear. There, are, there is a distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law. Now, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible so you can see it there at the heart of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, page 83 in the Bible that you're using, if it's the one in the pew, Genesis chapter, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, page 83. Genesis, I keep saying Genesis, but it's Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, and what's the first word in your Bible? It says, remember. Now, this is the only commandment that begins with the word remember. Now, isn't it interesting that the only commandment that begins with the word remember is the one that the majority of individuals are telling us to forget? It's just quite ironic, I find. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You can fill it out in your study guide. I also have it here on the screen. Some key words that I want us to focus on here this morning, talking about the Ten Commandments, the Lord God rested the seventh day and he blessed it and made it holy, as other translations tell us. This is at the heart of the Ten Commandments. Now, many individuals want to give you a 10% discount on the Ten Commandments. And it begins with the word remember. Now, I believe that we should not kill Amen? We should not commit adultery. We should not covet. All of those other commandments are so binding, matter of fact, that many countries have put into civil law the principles of the Ten Commandments. And here at the heart of the Ten Commandments, God says, I want you to remember a particular day. And if you look at the last phrase of verse 11, this is almost a direct allusion to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. This was not created at Mount Sinai. This was not instituted by Moses. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. I want to read in your study guide. It says, remember me, remember me. In Exodus chapter 20, the chapter contains the Ten Commandments. God reminds his people about the importance of the Sabbath. We can be sure that God was reminding them about the day because he begins the command with the word, remember. Don't forget who wrote the law. God with his finger on tables of stone, and it was placed inside the ark God wrote this law on stone to show that it cannot change. God made this day holy in Genesis, and here in Exodus, reminds people about it. It is worth noting that only God can make anything holy. Now, many times when I've shared this with individuals, they say, Pastor, I keep every day holy. Now, by the grace of God, we can live holy lives. But if you look at this commandment, you'll notice that in order to keep a day holy, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, how do you do that? The next sentence tells us, six days you shall labor. Now, part of this commandment tells us that we should be industrious and work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. So in order to keep a day holy, according to the Bible, we are not to work in our normal profession on that day. That is how you keep a day holy. When we look at this concept of the Sabbath, I want us to recognize here this morning that when we look at our languages across the world, that in over 140 languages of the world, the word for seventh day is literally the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath in, or the seventh day or Saturday in Spanish? Sabado. Okay. So, All right, Salvador. All right. So this is a list of the languages, uh, or some of the languages, and you can see that they literally mean Sabbath. Even when you look at the structure of certain languages, you see that the seventh day is the Sabbath. Now, many times individuals will say, Pastor, hasn't the calendar been changed? How do we know that the seventh day today is a seventh day going back to creation? 
Now, the most recent calendar change came about in 1582. The Julian calendar was converted to what we have today known as the Gregorian calendar. Now, this is what happened. It happened on October 1582, and You can see the two parts that are highlighted there on the screen. October the 4th was the Julian calendar. The next day, they switched to the Gregorian calendar. And notice what happened. October the 4th became October the what? October the what? The 15th. Everyone see that? October the 4th became October the 15th. Anyways, you get the point. The 5th became the 15th. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Someone needs to keep me in line here. Okay, so, so October the 4th, the next day it became October the 15th. I think I'm saying that right now. Now, you see what happened according to the week. Did the next day still become Friday? Yes or no? It still became Friday. In other words, the week never changed when we switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. Furthermore, there's a, there's a whole lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than I am that keep time, and this is from James Robertson, director of American, whatever, at the Navy Department, and it says, there has been no change in our calendar in past centuries, listen to this, that has affected in any way the cycle of the week. Not in any way has any calendar change changed the cycle of the week. Now, this is a picture of the Royal Greenwich Observatory in Greenwich, England. This is the place through which the international date line runs. This was historically set up to keep time based on the stars and the movement of the planet and so forth, precise time. Now, this is a quote from Dr. Frank Jeffries from the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, England, and listen to this. It can be said with assurance that not a day has been lost since creation, and all the calendar changes notwithstanding, there has been no break in the weekly cycle. These individuals that are brilliant, that study time, say that begin from the beginning, according to this person that believes in God, evidently, from the beginning of creation, there has been no break in the weekly cycle, which means we can go with a surety back to the time of the Bible, knowing that the seventh day today on a weekly cycle was the seventh day when Jesus kept it over 2,000 years ago. Can you say amen? Let's go on in our study guide. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. What is one significance of the Sabbath, Ezekiel 20, verse 12. I have it there on the screen. You could fill it in your study guide. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that they would know that I, the Lord, makes them holy. That I, the Lord, makes them holy. When you keep the Sabbath, it's a testament to righteousness by faith. Amen? Amen? It's not a testament to righteousness by works. Some people say that the Sabbath is works. Not really. I should say not at all. Because every time you keep the Sabbath, you are giving a testament to the reality that it is God that makes you holy and not you by your works that makes you holy. You're resting in the reality 
of the creator God. That is the beauty of the Sabbath. And so here in the Genesis account, God takes the earth, which is without form and void, and he forms it and fills it. He creates his masterpiece and he signs it with the Sabbath. The same is true in salvation. God takes David Shin, who is a mess, and he recreates in me the image of God. Psalms 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart. The same word used in the creation account. God takes me and creates in me the image of God and he puts his signature upon me, which is the Sabbath. So here we see the Sabbath is not only a symbol of creation, it is also a symbol of redemption as well. A symbol of salvation. A symbol of that we cannot save ourselves, but rest in the power of a creative God to create in us a clean heart. You can see it there in your study guide. According to Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, the Sabbath is a sign that it is God who can make us holy. Of what two things is the Sabbath a sign and symbol? You can see it there on the screen. Number one, creation And number two, salvation. Moving on very quickly. Just as Adam and Eve were called to rest in and remember God's work of creation, so too are we called to rest in and remember God's work of salvation. We cannot earn salvation. We must rest in the salvation that God has already won for us by Jesus Christ. God is both creator and savior, and the Sabbath is a powerful sign and symbol of of that fact. So when you keep the Sabbath, not only are you memorializing creation, friends, you're also memorializing that God created in you a clean heart. It is a memorial of salvation as well. We look at the heart of the Bible in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14. We have a special Sabbath blessing. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The Bible tells us that when we keep the Sabbath, there's a special blessing in store for us found in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14. Now, what about Jesus? Did Jesus keep the Sabbath? This is the New Testament. Some people say the Sabbath was limited to the Old Testament, but you see in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, so he, Jesus, came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. That word, as his custom was, or that phrase, as his custom was, tells us that this was not the first time that Jesus had kept the Sabbath. It was a regular occasion for Jesus. It was a regular thing for Jesus to do. He kept the Sabbath. Now, we see that not only did Jesus keep the Sabbath, but after the resurrections, we see that The apostles kept the Sabbath. In your study guide, again, I don't have it on the screen, but not surprisingly, the apostles also kept the Sabbath. See, for example, the following text. Of course they kept the Sabbath. Why wouldn't they? After all, every single true follower of God, from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, and from Moses to Jesus, and from Jesus to the apostles, kept the Sabbath. 
left out a phrase there. Kept the Sabbath. And here's a few phrases that uh, are a few passages that I want us to go through very quickly. Acts chapter 13, verse 14. This is after the resurrection, after Jesus had gone to heaven. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. These are not all the passages. I just want to give you a couple of them. And the other one is Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So here is the trajectory. We have just gone very quickly from Genesis before sin to the heart of the Ten Commandments, to Isaiah, to Jesus, to the apostles who all kept the Sabbath all along the way. Now, I want to take us to the very last book of the Bible because many people talk about the Lord's Day. They say the Lord's Day is Sunday. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet. Here, the word the Lord's Day is used, or the phrase the Lord's Day is used. Now, which day is the Lord's Day? The the only way we can find out is to cross-reference it with Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. It says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the what? Even of the Sabbath. So the Bible is not inconsistent here, friends. The Bible, when it talks about the Lord's Day, it is talking about none other than the Sabbath day. Now, how did this happen? How did it come to be that this truth about the Sabbath down through the centuries has been lost and replaced not with the Word of God, but with tradition? And this is actually going to be a two-part series. So next Sabbath, I want to encourage you to come out for part two of this two-part series entitled The Seventh Day. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the contact information for our pastoral staff. And if you're hearing this and you have some questions, uh, I want to encourage you to contact our pastoral staff. We'd love to sit down with you and have a personal one-on-one meeting in which you can voice some of your questions as we go to the Word of God to see what the will of God is. Now, this is not a secret about the Sabbath. This is from Catholic Cardinal James Gibbons. And notice what he says. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification or the holiness of Sunday. The Scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. There it is. Very clearly etched out by a cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church saying very clearly that if you go by the Bible, the Bible supports the concept of the Sabbath being the seventh day, and that is Saturday. What about in heaven? Our last verse, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make shall remain me before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now, the logic of this 
is very apparent. If Jesus kept the Sabbath, the apostles kept the Sabbath, and we're going to keep the Sabbath in heaven, it only makes sense that we're to keep the Sabbath today. Right? I want to read the last paragraph of our study guide. Do you see the issue? Will we follow Christ and the Bible or man-made traditions? It is not merely keeping a matter of days and numbers. It is a matter of masters. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The way we show our love for God is by our willingness to obey him. It's it your desire to show that your love for God by following him instead of tradition. Now, friends, I want to make it very clear here this morning in our study that we are not just talking about a day. We're talking about the person behind the day. This is in the context of a relationship, and you know, husbands and wives, that in the context of a relationship, time matters a lot. Amen. If a husband went to his wife and said, oh, our anniversary, that's just a day. I mean, you'll probably be sleeping on the couch the next day, okay? A day matters. Or if someone comes to you and says, oh, your birthday, oh, that's just a day. Who cares? Well, it matters if you care about the person. Isn't that right? And the Sabbath matters because God matters. And if you love the Lord, you will love the Sabbath. It's not just about a day. It's who is behind the day. And in the context of a relationship, God says, one day a week on the seventh day, that is my time with you. Relational, intimate, sacred time between us and the Creator. And God says, I want to meet with you on the Sabbath. And if you love the Lord, you will love the Sabbath. Amen? I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. Every head bowed and eyes closed. I want to make a very simple appeal as we conclude our study on the Sabbath. If there's someone here today and you're hearing about the Sabbath and the Lord of the Sabbath, but you have not accepted the Lord of the Sabbath as your personal Savior. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart today. The Bible says, if any man opens the door, if any woman, if any person, if any child opens the door, I will come in. That appeal still stands today. And you want to respond to God by saying, Lord, save me. I want to accept you as my Savior. And if if that's your desire, I want to invite you to raise your hand right now and say, Lord, I want to accept you as my Savior. God bless you. God bless you. Is there someone else here? God bless you. God bless you. I want to accept you as my Savior. My second appeal is this. Perhaps you've been struggling to keep the Sabbath. Perhaps you've heard about the Sabbath before or this is the first time and there is a struggle for you to keep the Bible Sabbath. But you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart here this morning and you want to say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how, but I want to ask you to help me keep the Bible Sabbath. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to raise your hand here this morning. You'll say, Lord Jesus, I've been struggling, but I want to ask you, God bless you. God bless you. Is there someone else? God bless you. 
Help me to keep the Bible Sabbath. It's been a struggle. Amen. Amen. My final appeal is this. There is someone here today. You've been struggling. The Sabbath is about rest, but you've experienced anything but rest in your Christian experience. And today you want to say, Lord Jesus, there's an area of my life that I do not find peace about. There's an area of my life that I am struggling with and I want to surrender that to the Lord of the Sabbath this morning. I want to invite you to come forward here today. If you want to say, Lord, God bless you. Is there someone else? God bless you. You want to say, Lord, there's an area of my life that I've been struggling with that I want to surrender to Jesus and lay on the altar. God bless you. Is there someone else? The Bible says, just come. Come. Jesus is beckoning you this morning. This is not Pastor Shin calling you. This is the Lord Jesus calling to you from the words of Scripture. There's an area of my life that I want to lay on the altar. God bless you. There's someone else. God bless you. And you want to say, Lord, I want to experience rest in this area of my life. Please, Lord, give me peace. Give me assurance. Give me the victory. Amen. God bless you. bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, we recognize today that because of Jesus, because of our love for Jesus, we want to spend time with you on the Sabbath. That the seventh day is centered in a dynamic, intimate relationship with you. And I pray this morning for the individuals that have come forward. There's an area of our lives that we are struggling with, and today we want to ask Jesus to grant us peace. We want to ask Jesus to grant us rest. We want to ask Jesus to grant us the victory. I pray that as we surrender this area of our lives to you, that as we say, Lord Jesus, take our hearts because we cannot give it. Save us from ourselves. Please take our hearts, because we cannot give it. Lord, that is the plea of our hearts. We want to surrender to you. Please come in and fill us and grant us the peace that passeth all understanding. I pray for every individual that's come forward, every individual in this room. May you cover us with your robe of righteousness. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.